You're listening to MarketScale Software and Electronics. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Marty Hendrickson, the Vice President of Global Sales for Tidal. Marty, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. So do me a favor. Tell me how you sort of traversed the map to wind up at Tidal. Well, I, I uh, shortly out of college, I, I began my career at um, Brinks, which is a global leader in cash supply, uh, supply chain management. And uh, this is early 2002, 2003 timeframe and really gravitated towards some of the technology driven solutions that, that uh, Brinks had just begun to develop and take to the market. Many of those solutions had, had primarily been de- developed for retail customers that were looking to optimize their cash supply chain uh, process. And uh, the solutions that Brinks took to market evolved over the course of, of, of many years. And um, I, I worked my way up to a point where um, I was working in both sales and marketing and product development within that organization. Uh, and then I, I left for a while to go work at a uh, financial regulatory consultancy firm and, and found my way back to Tidal. And Tidal is uh, the, uh, we're responsible for the des- design, uh, the manufacturer, uh, the uh, distribution of ma- much of the hardware and software solutions that um, companies like Brinks, like Loomis, like G4S um, provide to their retail customers across the globe. Okay, so it sounds like just based on the last minute and a half, there's something in your genetics that drives you to be around money from not just not from a making money standpoint, but what is it about financial systems that fascinates you? I think, you know, it's, it's the one thing that, uh, you know, you, you take a look at uh, what, what we really live in today, which is a global economy. And uh, the one thing that ties all of us together are, uh, the various financial institutions and uh, what drives many of the financial institutions are the day-to-day consumer as well as uh, you look at the commercial side of the of, of, uh, of uh, that ecosystem and um, whether it be retailers or healthcare organizations or or anyone that takes payments from consumers and uh, deposits those payments into that uh, that large group of financial institutions across the globe, I find that that ecosystem really uh, interesting because it is what drives our global economy today. You were probably one of those guys that had your own lawn mowing service with three other guys working for you when you were 16 and had a checking account, right? Oh, I was the, I was the son of a carpenter, so lawn mowing was the easy part of the, of the day-to-day work. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question. So we talk about cash, and you work in the physical world, but you do it with digital tools. Let's let's go the other route. Let's talk about what you see with regard to cryptocurrency and digital currency. And I have to tell you, those are really interesting concepts, but nothing feels quite as comfortable as actually physically having a $20 bill in your hand. Yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And and we're going to continue to see growth of digital currency, growth of cryptocurrency. Uh, but right now, no one really knows where that's headed. Uh, there's a lot of volatility around um, 
those type of, of, of payment offerings. Um, when it comes to cash, and, and I like to say that we sit um, right where um, fintech and cash auto automation, where those two things collide, because um, in all of the market research that we've done, consumers that gravitate towards mobile payments or would potentially gravitate towards a cryptocurrency, that's really replacing, uh, for the most part, debit and credit transactions. And, and of course, legacy check transactions, which are, are, are disappearing faster than anything. And cash has remained uh, fairly stable. And in, in fact, uh, a study just came out in the Americas, uh, the compound annual growth rate for cash is, is in the 20 plus percent uh, between the US, Mexico, and uh, Central and South America. So what we're seeing right now is cash is not going away. We're seeing growth in mobile payments, potential growth in cryptocurrency. And our focus is on working with retailers, working with healthcare organizations, working with any organization that accepts cash and optimizing that process for them because it is not go going away. You need an omni-channel payment acceptance strategy to address all of those other payment forms. But you can't forget about cash because cash if left uh, alone, uh, it will be the most expensive tender to accept. If you optimize it, it's typically half the cost uh, as a percentage that accepting credit cards or, or accepting mobile payments would be. So automation from the, from the point of manufacturing, uh, logistics, automation seems to be the most efficient way to approach this. It's not efficient to have a, a physical human teller count out a million dollars in ones. It's just not. But talk to me about the retail side of cash acceptance and, and uh, healthcare and hospitality. Everybody uses money. How do you kind of approach all of those different areas with a coherent strategy? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, um, retail has become at least parts of retail become the last bastion of, of automation. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. Um, there has to be a, a if, if a consumer is going into a brick and mortar, uh, store as opposed to going online to Amazon, they need that, that experience. They need, um, someone, someone that's helping them. Uh, pick out an outfit or someone that is in the case of um, hospitality and in the restaurant industry, someone that is providing them with an experience they can't get at home. And uh, restaurants, retail, et cetera, have done a great job of automating other parts of their business. And they've largely left cash alone um, when it is low hanging fruit, but everyone has felt um, or many have felt that, look, why do we address this when we don't think um, either cash is a big deal or it's going away or we don't have visibility to what I'm paying on a monthly basis? Like with credit cards, they can see they're paying one and a half or two percent per transaction with the credit cards. There really isn't any visibility related to the total cost of ownership of accepting cash. So it is our job to have conversations with all of these organizations identify all of the various points within the organization in which they accept cash, um, how many times that cash is being touched from the time 
a guest or a consumer provides it to a cashier to when that cash becomes then usable and investable funds in their bank. So we look at everything from labor efficiency to reconciliation to cash over short to banking fees to um, uh, access to working capital and, and what some of these larger companies could do with that cash if they're able to push it directly from the consumer into their bank account, which uh, is what all of our solutions uh, allow these organizations to do. So really, our, our focus is, is on, hey, let's, let's, we, we have a 360 view of the market given uh, the relationships that we have in this, in this ecosystem. And we have the ability and the luxury, I, I should say, the luxury of, of walking into these organizations and saying, let's take a look at everything that you do and then provide a recommendation on how you can optimize your entire process. You know, the original way that people paid for things was the barter system. Hey, you have a horse that I like. Here's 73 pounds of grain or whatever. And that naturally um, needed to centralize into a currency-based system, which most, you know, most civilizations adopted. Do you think we're at the, the so-called Goldilocks zone as far as that transactional uh, device? No, I... I... I I don't I, I certainly don't think it's um, you know even slight reductions in cash usage uh, will have a nominal impact. I do think slight reductions in cash usage would have a nominal impact on on uh, how the types of organizations we work with do business um, because you still have um, everything that is required of them to process those transactions and get those various uh, payments into. Um, again, uh, usable investable funds, uh, but I also think that as a as an economy and um, as a as a um, around the world, we're going to continue to evolve. And uh, I, I wish I had a crystal ball in front of me and I could say like that evolution is going to look like this. Uh, but I certainly feel as though that evolution is always going to include cash. It's always going to include some sort of mobile payment solution. And it's always going to include um, eventually some sort of cryptocurrency that isn't backed by a, by a federal government like the U.S. dollar is. So one of the things, you know, we've been talking about the cash transfer and the handling and the management of cash. You guys do something kind of interesting that I'd like you to tell me a little bit about. And that's the concept of smart safes. Pretend I don't know anything about smart safes. And side note, I don't know anything about smart safes. And uh, and tell me a little bit about just that whole concept and the way you've approached it. And what I would I would lump into smart safes. So we have uh, the broadest range. You know, I'll, it's uh, time for a, a little tight L plug here quickly. Uh, we have the broadest range of cash optimization solutions available in the world today. And at the the low end, what we would consider under counter would be. Smart safe on the high end, we would consider cash and coin recyclers to fit um, into big box retail, hospitality, etc. But the basic concept of a smart safe is um, providing retailers with the ability or, or any organization that accepts cash to place a small hardware device that is driven by proprietary software um, that reads and recognizes every note that um, is accepted and then deposited into that device. So 
high-speed node acceptors accept every single node. It's all user ID and pin driven. If you think reverse ATM, that's essentially what it is. These devices then gather all of the information, um, who deposited, when they deposited, what shift were they part of if, if that, uh, that organization relies on, on shifts throughout the course of the day. And that information is aggregated and then sent to um, cloud-based um, dashboards, for lack of a better term, that captures all of that information and through a, through a user interface allows, uh, let's say, a retailer at a centralized location to view the activity that's taking place across their enterprise. Um, what they also do, and they're, uh, at, at, at the moment there are 400 financial institutions across the U.S. that are providing uh, provisional credit based on cash that's deposited into these devices. And what that means is um, on a daily or several times a day, uh, these devices will communicate out to either an armor car partner or directly to a financial institution or a fintech company that uh, serves as the back end. And uh, these financial organizations are providing credit while these devices actually remain in the retail location. So it's really exciting. It, it, it essentially allows a retailer to um, convert a cash payment to, um, from a, a, a settlement standpoint, to, to look and feel very much like a credit card payment. Now, at some point, you have to start focusing on the fact that you have created a, a physical location that contains a large amount of currency. Do you find that there is a certain style of person that is drawn to working in a situation that I don't want to say it's dangerous, but it's it's a heightened situation to work in? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why our, our partners have been the most successful in marketing these solutions uh, to, um, <clears throat> again, retail healthcare organizations alike. Um, and th those are the armor car companies. And the Ar armor car companies, you know, it's their job to manage risk. And the largest banks in the world hire these companies to manage risk for them. So the armor car companies typically will take our solution and bundle it into a monthly fee to replace what you would typically see an armored car provider do, which is they go into a retail location and they take a bag of cash out and they bring it back to a truck and they deliver it to a bank to have that processed. Uh, with this solution, they're able to bundle hardware, software, uh, data transfer, maintenance, uh, security associated with the hardware, meaning if someone were to come in and, and, and pull it out of a retail location, uh, that armored car company would uh, would ensure the entire contents of that safe, but more importantly, allows them to only go to a location once a week or every other week, which anytime you have someone walking out of a truck with a gun and going into a retail location, there is risk associated with that. So the, the fewer instances of, of uh, having their people walk across the street, uh, the better off they are. So, yeah, it, it definitely attracts a, a certain type of individual, um, uh, just like uh, you would see in uh, police and, and, uh, and law enforcement and, and with firefighters. And these organizations want to limit their risk, and the retailers and the healthcare organizations and the other companies they service want to limit their risk as well.
Now, I don't like to to dwell on, you know, tough situations, but I'm always fascinated to find out how people who are leaders in an industry approach difficult situations. Has there been a specific industry that after your initial sort of foray into that industry, you realize, oh man, we didn't do that right, that you then had to retool and reapproach from a new perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... We, we, we had taken a, a one size fits all approach. And this is, this is, this has been, uh, an issue that has plagued the industry for quite some time, which is why at, at Tidal, we focus on speaking to as many potential clients as possible. Uh, our R and D is based on client needs as, as opposed to something that we feel the, the, uh, the market needs. Um, and as long as we're listening to our customers and revising our R&D and revi- revising our go-to-market strategy based on those uh, specific needs, uh, we're, not, we're never going to be in a position where we're trying to place a, a square peg in a round hole. But you know, what we have found is that the amount of cash that these organizations take in from consumers um, in many cases doesn't necessitate larger pieces of equipment with the highest security and um, capacities that are 4x beyond what they need on a daily basis or a weekly basis or, or an every other week basis. So one of the things that we've done is we've gone further down market. What I mean by that is, uh, you know, before we we're trying to push into healthcare, into specialty retail, uh, Solutions that had higher capacity were more equipped for a quick serve restaurant or a convenience store. And by providing smaller devices, um, it really opened us up to some vertical expansion. And uh, again, taking that step back and saying, okay, let's re engineer something that fits this type of organization as, as opposed to trying to push uh, what we have to them. And, and that taught us a lot. And if we run into situa- situations like that, we do every single day, um, our response isn't, okay, here's what I have. It's vanilla, and I know that you like chocolate. Uh, our response is, all right, let's develop chocolate um, because vanilla isn't going to work for you and your organization, and you're not going to be happy with us. And, and in turn, this is going to be a very short-term relationship as opposed to a long-term relationship where you go and tell others within your industry that Tidal is a company that uh, that they should work with. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time today. This has been really interesting. And I know with the weekend coming up, uh, you're going to have some free time. So if you just found yourself with nothing to do and you wanted to make me like a birdhouse or some bookshelves or something, you know, to kind of go back to your childhood, I'll be happy to swing by and pick that up. So you just send me a text. Let me know when that's ready and I'll, I'll uh, swing by. So, you know, I was, I was the grunt. I, I can't build anything. My wife will attest to that. You're, you're on your own. If you, if you need someone to haul shingles or, or uh, dig a ditch, I'm your guy. Uh, but anything beyond that, uh, you're out of luck. Uh, well, if we're leaving it on me, it sounds like I'm not going to have a birdhouse. <laughs> exactly. Well, today I've had the pleasure of talking to Marty Hendrickson, the Vice President of Global Sales for Tidale. Marty, thanks so much for taking the time, man. This has been really cool. I appreciate it. No, thank you, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.